Hello and welcome to TV Break, the PopBreak.com's monthly roundup of the ins and outs of the world of TV. I am PopBreak podcast editor Alex Marcus, and I am joined as always by PopBreak editor-in-chief Bill Blatkin. How are you today, Bill? Oh, feeling good. Feeling good. Happy to be back. This feels like a long time since we last spoke. I feel like July was a very long gap in between uh, talks for us. Yes, July felt like an endless month for a variety of reasons. Even longer for our uh, normal co-host, Josh Ternacki, a resident TV columnist, because he is sadly not joining us today. Uh, He is busy moving across the country. Uh, But in his stead, we are joined uh, by our uh, former uh, special guest host and my always co-host on Cinema Joe's, uh, Justin Mancini. How are you today, Justin? Hey, doing good, Alex. How are you? I'm great. I'm very happy to have you on to talk about TV uh, for a change. It's very exciting. Yeah, Uh, happy to be back. (laughs) This month, we're going to be reviewing Masters of the Universe Revelation, Netflix's reboot of the classic 80s cartoon. Uh, The 2021 Emmy nominations uh, were announced uh, about a month ago. Uh, We're going to be talking about that a little bit. Um, And we're also, of course, going to discuss who won the week in streaming. But before we get into any of that, uh, we're going to start off by talking about the best thing we watched on TV last month. And Justin, since you're our guest, I thought we could start off with you. What was the best thing that you watched on TV last month? Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm going to bring up, uh, as I did on the last episode, a show that is, well, I guess technically is still running. I'm not sure what the status is on the uh, fifth season of it, but I just started watching Fargo, the uh, Noah Hawley series based upon the Coen Brothers film of the same name. Uh, The the reason I started watching this is because the film club that I'm a part of has decided that they're going to be watching this on a weekly basis. Um, so it's actually taking me a little bit out of the rhythm of of binging, <laughs> which is kind of what I've been used to, or at least at least watching, you know, a couple of episodes together um, in a fairly short amount of time as opposed to the weekly uh, schedule. Um, but I've been really enjoying this so far. I'm uh when I say I just started watching it, uh, I literally just watched the first episode. <laughs> so ah. <laughs> I am first episode of season one. Um, and uh, for those who don't know, this is about a, a series of crimes that take place in the town of Bemidji, Minnesota. Uh, it shares some similar DNA with the film. But I think the thing that is the most pleasant surprise to me is that it very much feels like its own thing. Um, it feels inspired, but also feels like it is sort of carving out its own niche, uh, which I really appreciate. And uh, it has kind of like a, to me, it seems like a little more fabulistic maybe than some of the, than the Coen Brothers film. There's some broader character types. Um, it doesn't exactly have a more, like a kind of lived in quality that the film has. I mean, I will say the film is like one of my favorite films of all time. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Um but I do appreciate, like I said, that this seems to be doing its own thing. Um, and I, I think I'm also just impressed by the way it's able to sort of matter of factly and almost like almost in a sort of mundane way, just set up these moral crossroads for its characters. We see this particularly, in, at least in the first episode so far, with Lester Nygaard, who's played by Martin Freeman. Um, who is very much a man who is right on the right on the precipice of a breaking point, uh, and we uh, see him break 
in this and makes you kind of think like, okay, well, if we've seen him do this so far, what more does this season have in store? Because uh, <laughs> this could be uh, this could be quite bad. Um, and I, th- I think like one of the things I like about a lot of these setups, um, which take place, uh, which are, are sort of illustrated through these conversations with this this very sinister figure uh, played by Billy Bob Thornton, whose name is Lorne Malvo. What a name! Um, <laughs> is the way that the characters who interact with them seem like they're vaguely aware of this being sort of a fateful moment in their lives, but they're only vaguely aware of the consequences of the choices that they might make in either direction. Um, It's a, and it's got, like I said, it's got a, it's got a really wonderful cast Freeman who I mentioned, of course, Billy Bob Thornton, who just really like, I'm, I've really enjoyed Billy Bob and a lot of things, but this seems like a role that he just like, is just having the time of his life playing um it, it, it in certain scenes it's like he can hardly contain the pleasure that he derives just from like just disturbing or confusing people and i have to wonder if that's not just that's not the actor as well <laughs> just enjoying the moment and the words that he gets to say um and i also really love um allison Tolm, sort of as a, as a marge gunderson type I will say she has a similar earnestness and pluckiness, but there's also a level of naivete and sort of inexperience. And I actually think that makes it even more interesting because it seems like she might be more in over her head than someone like Marge. Marge, I think, has had a great experience at the time when the film takes place. And um, and Tolman's character feels like she's kind of figuring a little like she's definitely competent. She's clearly the most competent um, officer in her department, but she also like has to figure some stuff out. And I really, I really like that a lot about it. I'm really curious to see where it goes. Uh, I think the plan, I hope the plan is to watch the other, um, anthology series after this. I've heard the second season is, is maybe the best. Um, I actually had a friend who told me like, no, you should start with season two. Don't start with season one. I'm like, well, that's the way that the film goes watching it. So (laughs) that's what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying this, uh, and I'm sure that, uh, my, I imagine both of you gentlemen are very familiar <laughs> with this series. I definitely yeah. watched all of season one and there is a, uh, a cameo towards the end of season one, which is pretty great. Uh, season two, I only saw the first episode or two I, and I didn't get into episode, uh, seasons three or four yet. Ah, oh, season two is great. Season two is definitely the best of the of the four seasons that have aired so far. I'm a huge fan of this franchise, although I did not watch season four, which is the Chris Rock season. Mm. Um, it uh, it really got a lot of mixed results, and the season three really it had it had interesting elements to it, but there was a lot of things that didn't work as well as I would have liked, despite the fact that um, Carrie Coons uh, versus David Thewlis was quite the uh, the matchup, um, which is sort of like the central uh, conflict of that season. Uh, there was enough there that once I heard the, the weak reviews from season four, I kind of just stayed away. Um, but, you know, I'm always up for, for a Noah Hawley project. I'm a big fan of Legion, even though that also kind of... Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a little bit uh, too uh, up his own ass uh, a bit, you know, at times, <laughs> uh, to put it uh, blue. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I uh, I enjoyed I, I enjoy Fargo. First season is a very interesting sort of, like, subversion and deconstruction of, like, the nice guy 
construct that we're so used to, and that felt very uh, vital as a social critique in 2014, maybe slightly less so now. Um, so I'm curious how it will hold up. But Alison Tolman is great. Colin Hanks is great. Uh, and yeah, Billy Bob Thornton is just like made to uh, be in this in this part. Uh, Martin Freeman, I remember his accent kind of uh, bumping with me a bit. But, you know, that's OK. But season <laughs> I, I hope that you get to season two, at least, because season two is so, so great. It just it's one of these show, it's one of these miniseries where just there's a million different strands of on a huge tapestry and it all just comes together in this incredibly um just excellent uh culmination and it's really great gene smart is really great chris kirsten dunce and jesse plemons is really great there's like so so many good people on that uh season patrick wilson yes. of course so i hope you get to that um but i'm excited to see uh how you enjoy season one yeah me too uh, Bill, how about you? What is uh, the best thing you've seen on TV this month, past, present, or future? Yeah, I, I actually, for some reason, as busy as I was, I did get to watch a lot of television, uh, both old and new. Uh, on vacation, I caught a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which, uh, oh. yeah, which has some pretty funny stuff in it. And uh, but the thing, I, two things, I you know, I'm continuing with The Bad Batch on Disney Plus. It's the Star. Ah, that's still happening, dude. I thought it was supposed to end at least three times already. <laughs> And it hasn't, because I'm like, oh, okay, the series is over now. I'll just catch up to the final episodes. No, it's still going. Um, and I don't know how, when it's ever going to end. It may never end. Um, so the two shows I watched that I'm going to recommend, first one is, and they're both short. So the first one is Monsters at Work, which is the um, animated, I guess you would say, extension of the Monsters, Inc. movies. Um which is uh, essentially takes place moments slash days after the uh, scare floor has been turned into the laugh floor. And half of the show is Billy Crystal and John Goodman's characters, Mike and Sully uh, now becoming the bosses and how they handle that. And the other one is a new scare voiced by Ben Feldman of Superstore and Mad Men, who was a top scare graduate recruit to Monsters, Inc., who now has to learn how to be funny but uh, until then, he has to basically work in the mechanics department with um, Henry Winkler, uh, his, a monster <laughs> voiced by him, who's this kind of this big bumbling uncle type character, and Mindy Kaling's character, Val, who is a little too friendly and obsessed with him because they used to be classmates at Monsters University. Uh, it, that is actually revealed later in the episode, uh, later in the series, why she is obsessed with him. And it's actually a really tender and very emotional moment which is kind of cool and what this show does i think very nicely is it is able to play into the nostalgia of the two characters mike and sully that we've known for almost 20 years the film came out in 2001 it is 20 years i can't really subtract um <laughs> and then also introduce these brand new characters and they're able to do it in a way that just feels organic and natural now you never feel like you're watching two shows they're very much these two worlds are kind of kept apart a bit and eventually do come together, but they're so they're allowed to breathe and grow on their own, and then come together. You, you, you're able to balance the old and new very well. Goodman and Crystal basically are just so locked in as these characters that they're able to have. You could tell they're having a lot of fun with it. You know, Crystal is very, you know, is overamped a lot, and um, Goodman has kind of calmed Sully down a bit, which is nice. So it even plays more into Billy Crystal's like neuroticisms as mike and um 
you know, Mindy Kaling and Ben Feldman, two people who know a thing or two about being an office based, you know, <laughs> shows. So that works really nicely. So this is just a really fun show that you know, my daughter, who's six, she really enjoys watching it. But it's it's same. I can enjoy it, too. They're not pandering to the parents for laughs. Everything is very organic and natural and just genuine and emotional and funny, just like the Monsters movies were. And so I think it's a really good show to watch, even if you're not a parent and you don't have kids who watch it. This is a good 24-minute show that comes on every week. Uh, the other show, again, real quick, it's also on Disney Plus because I'm a parent and literally it's on all the time, <laughs> is um, Behind the Attraction, which is the new docuseries produced by Dwayne Johnson and right. Ryan Volk Weiss, I want to say, who did The Toys That Made Us. Um, it's narrated by Paget Brewster of DuckTales fame. Obviously, she's also been in a million other things like Criminal Minds, <laughs> but I'm just going to go with DuckTales. Uh, the last season of Community. Uh, well, there you go. Um, she... Uh, the first episode isn't good, and <laughs> and I'm gonna, just have to put this in the way because people watching it will be like, I didn't like this first episode because the show really doesn't find its footing. It tries very hard to balance between being like the Imagineering story, which was a premiere, you know, docu series title that, uh, during the Disney Plus launch, and also this weird amalgam of like a show that you would find on like True TV or A and E or a cable channel like a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, like world's dumbest people. And it's like, here's random comics and D-list celebrities just reading, you know, pre-canned jokes that someone wrote in that are really terrible. So the first episode is about Jungle Cruise. And it kind of, I know why they went overboard with it, no pun intended, because part of the Jungle Cruise ride and also in the Jungle Cruise movie, puns by and bad jokes by the boat captains are like part of the ride so that's kind of i think why they played into it a little heavier than other episodes but once you get past that episode in fact you might even want to skip it and go right into the haunted mansion episode because they have strike a really nice balance of very informative documentary that incorporates like people who work within disney but also classic uh, disney footage from stuff that would have aired on abc back in the 50s and 60s as well as like some well-placed humor and insight and sight gags. So it works really well. So starting with episode two, The Haunted Mansion, it's really cool. If you like rides, if you're big into theme parks or Disney, or you just want something that's just like a fun diversion to watch, Behind the Attraction, starting with episode two, is uh, is a pretty good thing to watch. And so is this like a, uh, a show that goes into the history of the ride and the... It's the history. It's kind of like the context of what, how it was created, why it was created, how it's evolved, how, you know, why, you know, why it was created and why the changes happened. So it's it's pretty interesting mix of technology, culture, history, art um, and a little bit of science, because a lot of it you have to talk about with um, animatronics and different types of innovation, technological innovation that they had to come up with in order to make the rides happen. So it's very cool. And if you're not into the humoristic aspect of this show, then I just recommend the Imagineering story because that's uh, narrated by Angela Bassett because that's just fantastic to watch. Can't go wrong there. Awesome. <laughs> One of my favorites there. Interesting. Hey, you on the popbreak.com. Thanks to <laughs> FX's show, American Horror Story Freak Show. Oh, yeah. I forgot she was on a couple of seasons of that. 
Not an American Horror Story fan, um, but am a fan of Angela Bassett. Happy that she is part of the uh, Disney universe and can be accessed on Disney Plus on a variety of pro- projects. So that's very exciting. Um, something else that's exciting is some of the shows that I wanted to talk about uh, today, about our uh, which are the best shows that I've been watching. Uh, one, I wanted to do a quick hit on Ted Lasso. Uh, which is back for its second season. This is a show that everyone slowly watched over last fall and said, oh, it's so good, it's so good, it's so good. And I was like, ah, I don't know. It sounds annoying, given how everybody's being all like, it's a show that makes you know that it's nice to be nice to people. It's like, all right, I get it. Um, But then I finally watched it, and it actually is very good, and I liked it a lot. And I was worried that season two might not be able to kind of meet that magic again. And two episodes in, it's really good. Uh, So everybody who might be worried about a sophomore slump for a Ted Lasso, definitely check it out. It's really good. We're going to be talking about it, I think, a little bit later in the show. Um, also, uh, Kevin Can Fuck Himself is a show that we covered last month. Uh, it has completed its first season already. All eight episodes have aired. And I wanted to let you know that it is still kind of what it was in the first episode, which is a bit of a mixed bag with some promise that it feels like it hasn't quite achieved yet but still somehow like the potential still feels like it's there for a better show um so i'm not upset that i stuck with it i can understand if people have fallen off of it but i think annie murphy and mary hollis and Bowden are giving just like all-time great uh tv performances and that's enough sometimes uh, to stick with the show but there's also just you spend a lot of time with kevin in his sitcom world even a lot of the times when he's not with uh annie murphy's character uh and it's like a really kind of crappy sitcom and it's like on purpose but also not satirical and it just uh it's kind of a it's kind of a weird uh like like uh frankenstein of a show uh i i really think they could pull it off um if they figure it out so i'll be very curious to see what season two looks like if they kind of like take the the off season to fine tool it or if uh fine tune it rather or if they kind of just keep going with what they're doing then i probably will not be in but i think that there's still a chance this could be a great show but the best show that i've been watching this month is definitely an hbo uh series created by mike white who is the creator of enlightened which is a fantastic hbo show starring laura dern and luke wilson from like a decade ago that what about it not enough people watched at the time. Everyone should go back and check out. It's like so relevant and uh, resonant now, even more than it was when it was created. Uh, but this time around, Mike White is not trying to take down corporate America. Um, he is instead uh, bringing a bunch of very uh, funny and troubled people to an all-inclusive resort in Hawaii on his series, White Lotus. Uh, the show stars Connie Britton, Steve Zahn, uh, Alexandra Daddario, who you might know as The Rock's daughter in San Andreas. I promise you, she is so good on this show, despite that being her most notable credit. Um, Jake Lacey, who is everybody's favorite boyfriend on things like Girls and Carol and uh, and um, High Fidelity and a million other things. Uh, Molly Shannon pops up. Natasha Rothwell from Insecure is great on this show. Uh, Sydney Sweeney, who a lot of people know from Euphoria. She was also good in Sharp Objects. She's here as a sort of insufferable uh, college student. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge is just like taking over Twitter with her incredible performance every single Sunday um, as this woman who is uh, vacationing alone uh, trying to scatter her mother's ashes. She's a bit of a mess, but in a very lovable sort of way. Uh, um, And then 
surprisingly, the star of the show is Murray Bart. Bartlett, who a lot of people might know from Looking. He also was an attractive man in a season of Sex and the City um, that people who watch that show know him from. As I think he was only in like one episode, but he made an impression. Uh, here, he is so, so excellent as the resort manager who uh, unfortunately uh, slides off the wagon at the end of the first episode and, and really is just like a paragon of self-destruction for most of the season while trying to deal with these obnoxious rich people. Uh, it's you might think that it's just this show where it's like oh we put a bunch of really really rich annoying people in a hawaiian resort and then watch them be terrible to each other and like it is kind of that but the thing about mike white is that he is so great at humanizing characters and like creating this complex emotional depth and uh uh, intrigue to all of these people. They all feel like recognizable human beings, all like a type, but also very specific. And uh, he has a way of just like interweaving all of this very important kind of social uh, commentary and critic and cultural criticism, and also sort of like satirizing a lot of it. And just it's like a masterful work of writing that this really strong ensemble is just crushing every single week. I'm such a fan. It also is set in. A beautiful resort in Hawaii so it is gorgeous to look at on top of everything else uh it's just so so great it's it's excellent if it was a movie it would be like in my top 10 of the year for sure very excited uh to see where it goes there's two episodes left I will say that it, the show opens somewhat interestingly on a like a flat a, a flash forward uh to Jake Lacey uh, getting on uh, <laughs> very unhappily on a um, on an airplane that also is containing a dead body of someone who was uh, on the trip that all of these people were on. So we know that someone dies. We don't really know who or how or why. And it's sort of this like ominous thing that's hanging over this show. I really don't think the show really even needs that to rank up the tension or anxiety because I mean, it has just like an excellent, excellent score that I just, it's like one of the best pieces of music I've heard uh, in a really long time. And that does way more than this kind of like looming thread of death uh, ever could, but it's an interesting wrinkle. Uh, I think it helps people who are kind of more into the murder mystery trend to latch onto it as well. But it's just so, so fantastic. It's the type of thing that TV does better than any other medium. And I really, really love it, and I encourage everyone to check it out. You can watch it Sundays on HBO and HBO Max. Yeah, I've been thinking about that one. Uh, and I also have seen Sex in the Series, Sex in the City, the series from start to finish like 12 times because my wife loves that show. I don't remember Murray Bartlett in that show. He's a very, <laughs> he's a very beautiful man in like one episode, I think. But he's, he's from New Zealand, and he has a very cute accent. Um, he's great. He's really, really good in this. I I really liked him in looking in a very different role, and I just didn't know that he had this sort of character in him, and I'm very impressed. Now, I was going to ask, are these, are these characters who know each other before they come to this resort, or is this... So they're kind of like in pods, basically. Uh, Connie uh -huh. Britton and Steve Zahn are a married couple who bring their, their teenage... Well, they're like college-age daughter her best friend and and their their younger teenage son uh they're kind of like a family unit connie Britton plays uh basically someone who is very very high up in a tech firm 
uh, kind of like a Google or Facebook type of company. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's uh, Alexand- Alexandra Daddario and Jake Lacey are uh, on their honeymoon. She is a journalist who is really struggling in her career. And Jake Lacey is like an uber rich uh, scion of a very wealthy family. Uh, Molly Shannon plays his mother, uh, who uh, makes an appearance later in the season. And you could, and since it is their honeymoon, you could imagine that that is not uh, super welcomed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, there's also um, Natasha Rothwell plays the spa um, manager, and she is mostly connected to the Jennifer Coolidge uh, storyline because uh, Jennifer Coolidge is vacationing alone, trying to, like, scatter her mother's ashes and is kind of an emotional wreck, and she has this really interesting connection to Natasha Rothwell after uh, a very powerful massage on her first day. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and, yeah, Sydney Sweeney is, I should say, um, part of that Connie Britton, Steve Zahn family. And then Murray Bartlett is the uh, resort manager. So he's, you kind of have, like, he is your window into the uh, inside of the resort. And he is bouncing between all of these different groups uh, for a variety ah, of different reasons. Okay. While he so. is, as I said, careening off the wagon in a very self-destructive <laughs> way. <laughs> Aren't we all, though? Oh, wait, it's me? Okay. Sorry. And I'm I'm also going to assume that this series has nothing to do with the Order of the White Lotus from Avatar the Last Airbender. I you know, I couldn't say for sure since I have not watched Avatar the Last Airbender. Mike White um would, never has, surprises me. Steve Zahn has that like arrow type uh, haircut in the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's he's dealing with a lot on this show. Uh, he, <laughs> the, everybody on this show is dealing with something, um, and it's interesting, and it's really good. I really, really strongly recommend people check it out. Jake Lacey plays a giant fucking asshole, and it's Just, really great to see because he always plays a nice guy, and he plays an asshole so great. Like, he's just so <laughs> perfect. So I really want to see him play an asshole in many more roles after seeing him like this. <laughs> I was watching How to Be Single last night. He's in that as, like, the nicest guy ever. Yeah, that is just what he gets cast as. He's always just like, oh, I'm like the really nice guy that everyone likes to be around. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, hey, I'm a great guy. And just like that. I mean, hey, if you got to be cast for something. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely worse things to be typecast as than the nice guy that everyone likes. <laughs> <laughs> but he plays against type here and it's pretty glorious. <laughs> Basically, like he gets slighted in the first episode because they booked a room that is slightly better than the room that they get placed in by accident. And that room is all the room that they were supposed to get in to is is filled with another couple. So they're just stuck in this slightly less nice room on this exclusive resort in Hawaii. <laughs> and he just can't let it go. And he's like, and it completely blows up the entire honeymoon because he just can't let go of the fact that he was slighted in this very, very minor way. So I think we all know people like that. So, indeed. <laughs> but yeah, so that's White Lotus. Definitely check that out. Uh, Bill's uh, was Monsters at Work and Behind the Attraction, both on Disney Plus. And Justin is uh, traveling all the way back to 2014 with FX's Fargo season one. Which is on uh, Hulu. It's, oh, yeah, it's on Hulu. FX on Hulu, I think, technically. But yes. 
uh, now we're going to move on to our uh, monthly segment, Newsbreak, where we talk about one of the biggest stories uh, in the world of TV. This month, we're going to be talking about the Emmy nominations. Uh, we're going to be linking to Variety's coverage, which was uh, written by Haley Bosselman, Jordan Moreau, and Ethan Schoenfeld. Uh, it's basically just a quick write-up of all of the nominees. Uh, I know this is kind of weird timing. We're going to be doing a whole Emmy preview podcast next month for September, and uh, the Emmy nominations def- were released about a week after our July episode. So, you know, uh, this is kind of old news, but I think it's still interesting to talk about because it's kind of a huge deal in the world of TV, the shows that are getting picked up, the shows that are, are getting attention right now. Um, just a quick overview of, like, the big bullet points before we go into it. Um HBO and HBO Max, uh, in a very contentious move that caused a lot of wild uh, ripple effects that I don't think is really worth getting into, uh, they decided to combine their status so that way they could win the total uh, nomination count for all networks uh, with 130 nominations. Netflix was second with 129 and truthfully is the real winner because it was shady as fuck that HBO decided to combine with HBO Max. Uh, They're two separate networks. There was really no good reason except for, and when the Academy was asked about it, they said, well, they submitted that way and they're technically allowed to. So that's why we're counting it that way. Uh, That that set off a clusterfuck of uh, PR uh, releases uh, that day, where then uh, Disney was like, well, if we're combining, uh, if HBO and HBO Max can combine, then we're going to combine and take credit for Disney Plus and Hulu and ABC, and also, we produce a show that's on Fox, and we're going to count that too. And it's just like, <laughs> it was insane. Um, but Disney Plus was technically this, the the bronze winner for uh, 71 nominations, which is a pretty big deal, since it's only their second year in existence. Um, as far as TV shows go, Netflix is the crown, and Disney Plus is Mandalorian led with 24 nominations uh, and uh, Disney Plus's WandaVision uh, was uh, 23 and Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale uh, rounded out in 21. Um, this of course will uh, telecast will be taking place on September 19th uh, hosted by Cedric the Entertainer who has weirdly never hosted this award show before which I think is odd because I feel like he should have hosted it like a dozen times by now mm-hmm. and it'll be on CBS and Paramount Plus. Oh, that, so, that's why, because he's he's got a show on CBS, and I don't think it's been on CBS. Has it been on CBS always, or no? Well, it always cycles. It cycles around the, the broadcast networks, so oh. every year they take a turn. Um, I think last year was on, on ABC, the year before that was on Fox, I think, so it, they always take a turn. Um, but yeah, I, it just feels weird that Cedric hasn't gotten a chance He is, after all, the entertainer. Uh, But in any case, uh, (laughs) Bill, I'm going to start off with you. What are your reactions to uh, these awards? Well, I I feel like um, I can't believe the Kaminsky method is still being nominated for stuff. (laughs) It was a one-off season, and, like, it just kept, because it came out at a weird time, just kept getting nominated for stuff. Uh, So, yeah, that's in its third series, apparently. Um, Third and final season. Oh, such a shame. Um, I, I was, I, I guess I was a little surprised uh, that it was such like the outstanding drama series seemed to be like a very, like was more of like, Hey, we're nominating all the stuff that's really popular, like the boys and Mandalorian and Bridgerton and stuff like that. Like I was like, okay, I didn't see those coming and neither did I see Lovecraft country, which only got one season, which I thought was great. 
but I would <laughs> yeah, it was canceled a week before the Emmy nominations were yeah. announced. Um, I was a little surprised by that, uh, but there was stuff that I was very happy to see. That especially even so, though some of these shows I've never seen, but like just hearing from word of mouth from people like Alex, who I trust implicitly, seeing like I may destroy you getting a number of nominations. Ted Lasso getting a number of no- nominations, like. There are some really strong nominations in here, but I guess the one I really have to speak to is um, the Don Cheadle nomination uh, for (laughs) Soldier, the one that he didn't even understand because he was in the goddamn series for two minutes. Like Uh, literally one scene he had, his only dialogue was like, Sam, I don't think you made the right choice. And then I, well, I understand what you're saying, Sam. And that's it. Like that was his entire... (laughs) But it was in the credits every episode for that show, which was wild. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that was just the weirdest one for me, man. That and I didn't realize Zach Braff de- uh, directed an episode of Ted Lasso, and he, so he's got a directing nomination. Yeah, well, Bill Lawrence is the showrunner of that show, and that's oh, well, Scrubs Connect. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I want to say, like, obviously Ted Lasso was a huge winner um, They in, in the nominations day. Like, almost every supporting actor of the... Like, almost every actor in the cast was nominated, which was ridiculous, in my opinion. Hamilton, for some reason, is was also a big winner because yeah. that show just mm-hmm. can't stop winning awards. Like, it's a TV show, it's a movie, it's a play. It, like, I mean, come on. Like, oh, can't we just <laughs> say, like, it was good five years ago. Like, let's move on, people. But, uh, yeah, I May Destroy You, of course, as Bill said, definitely is getting a nice kind of coronation uh, after running over over last summer and just kind of blowing everyone away and winning, like, a ton of critics' uh, top ten lists and things like that at the end of the year, despite getting snubbed by the Globes. In fact, uh, it's getting snubbed by the Globes kind of played a big part in it get in the globes getting canceled so uh interesting legacy for that show but michaela cole is just extraordinary hacks got a lot of nominations which i was very happy to see because that is an excellent show that i really really like gene smart and hannah einbender are so good um mayor of east town got a lot of nominations uh, that is another show where gene smart is excellent among other people <laughs> oh, yeah. it was great <laughs> Uh, interesting year for SNL. Uh, they got a lot of nominations uh, yeah. for their cast members, and then like many of their cast members and former cast members got additional uh, nominations for other projects. So definitely the the Academy is in the bag for SNL people at this point. Um, and I was super excited that uh, some lesser people, like uh, some lesser known uh, projects like yes. 1015 uh, got a pretty high profile nomination. And MJ Rodriguez from Pose finally got the nomination that she has richly deserved for uh, the past three seasons. She is the heart and soul of that show, and it's just been criminal that she's been overlooked uh, as good as um, her man Billy is. uh, She is every bit his equal on that show and has deserved to be uh, awarded as such this whole time. So very, very uh, excited to see her there. Um, Justin, how about you? What are some of your thoughts on these nominees? Well, so, you know, not being not really keeping up with current TV as much as I do um, film, um, there were definitely a lot of people I'm like, oh, yeah, I heard that person was good in that. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, that person was like like uh, and Bill, Bill, you already mentioned it, but like the, the nominations for I May Destroy You. I know there was some concern 
uh, that it was going to get like not necessarily snubbed, maybe not get as much love as it, as it actually ended up getting. Um, I was surprised <laughs> just looking through the nominees and, and thinking like, wait, that show is, you know, either still on air or at least was eligible for the most recent <laughs> Emmys. <laughs> I mean, I had no idea mom was still on the air. I had no idea that shameless was still going. Um, yes. I think it was its last season that it yeah. that, uh, mom and that shameless had their it? last seasons. this year. Okay. Mom as well. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so that was definitely that. Um, and, uh, I guess the, the other thing that I thought was interesting, um, is as I was like looking through the nominations, I was like, okay, yeah, like this makes sense. Like I've definitely heard about some of these stuff. I've heard of Ted Lasso. I've heard of, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I understand like the crown has to get, you know, it's, it's kind of, I feel like legally required that it needs to get nominated (laughs) in every category, um, each year that it's on. Um, and it wasn't until after where I remember thinking like, wait a minute, what was missing? Oh, that's right. Small Axe, which I remember hearing was going to be eligible for the Emmys. And it did get one nomination for cinematography for the first film in the series, Mangrove. Um, Small Axe was one of the best things I watched movie-wise or otherwise, uh, TV-wise, you know, whatever, uh, last year, it was uh, definitely one of the stronger things that uh, I remember, you know, having the pleasure of seeing. And I was just kind of, it, especially looking through some of the other nominees, I was a little bit surprised that it didn't get more, at least in the acting categories. Um, I understand that it's, you know, maybe a little bit, it's maybe harder to classify in some ways because it is this like, is it a movie? Is it like, is it a series of films? Is it a, an anthology series? Um, so I, I understand that to a certain extent, um, I guess. And I might, I might just ask this question and I, cause I feel like Alex, if anyone's going to know, you might know it. Um, I did look and cause I was curious about, okay, like what about something like, you know, like I'm sure black mirror has got Emmy nominations before what category does it get nominated for? And it looked like from what I was seeing, and I think actually Sandra Napero won for original TV movie. Um, yeah. So the black mirror thing, they, it was a bit of a, they were exploiting a loophole in the system basically, which I believe mm-hmm. has been cleared up. Um, where they were able to, if the episode was feature length, they were able to classify it as a TV film instead of an episode of an anthology. And that helped Netflix, who was the producer, or the, the network behind uh, Black Mirror for those years, uh, it helped them kind of game the system and get squeeze out a few more Emmy nominations as a result. They've since, I believe, okay. made that not allowed anymore, partially because it was ridiculous that an episode of Black Mirror, as good as it was, was winning best TV movie categories that it had no business being a part of. Um, so that's that's kind of why, like, a single episode of Small Axe, for instance, didn't get the spotlight. Um, but that also, it, the big difference there, in addition to the rule change, is the fact that Netflix was trying to maximize their uh, their nomination output by really mm-hmm. uh, campaigning hard wherever they could, including an episode of Black Mirror. Uh, it does not appear that Amazon put a lot of weight behind campaigning yes. 
small acts. I think they kind of blew their budget on that for the end of the year film awards and things like that. And uh, I think that it got docked by the Academy for being a collection of films. I think people were like the limited series category is the most competitive of the of every of all the categories. And I think that people just decided to award television shows instead of uh, anthology film series that was masquerading as a television show for awards purposes. Now, that didn't stop them from bending over backwards to nominate Hamilton a million times, despite that also not being... <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I mean, it's technically like a, a live special. Which is didn't exactly... didn't get categorized. That? Yeah, it didn't get categorized as that for some reason. So, I don't know. The, the, you can't always make sense of Academy voters. The thing that's important to remember is that the uh, Television Academy is extremely large and diffuse, and most mm. of them don't watch television because they're too busy making television. So, uh, there's a lot of... there's That is a huge factor in a lot of these decisions. Uh, but, yeah, I, I honestly... You know, I mean, Justin knows how much I liked Small Axe. Uh, several of its films were uh, in contention for my favorite films of the year last year. Uh, but it is a film series, and so I can't get too upset about it being overlooked here because there's just actual really good miniseries that were eligible and that deserved those slots. I'm more upset that Hamilton took up a bunch of slots that more of those people could have uh, been rewarded in because I think that, too, feels a little bit like category fraud. Bill, what do you think? Oh, I agree, because, I mean, it's literally nominated for Best Outstanding Variety Special, and then it's plopped into a whole bunch of anthology stuff and limited series stuff. So it's like, that's not what it is. It wasn't a series. It was a special. It was a movie. Like, that that Mm -hmm. was not a series. It wasn't broken up. So that's, that's very, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. Is there are people who could have, yeah, I mean, they were awesome in it. But now, see, but it's weird because you'll see how it says outstanding lead actor in a limited anthology, limited or anthology series or movie. Okay, then why not nominate someone for small acts into that category, into the acting, for example? Yeah, it's the same. And I mean, Hamilton's acting categories are listed under limited series. The same reason why, like, SNL actors get nominated in... Uh, comedy, best comedy series, supporting actor and actress slots. It's a rule change that they made a couple of years ago, um, and I think it was as a way to really try to get those comedy performers into like the mix with actual other like comedic television performances. Uh, it's understandable in that context. I think that it was just inappropriate for Hamilton, and I think that there's enough variety of performances at this point that you could really have a whole separate section just for them in the acting categories. And it wouldn't really feel like uh, like a ghettoization of, of the performers, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's certainly a weird situation. I mean, it's like television as an institution is, is in flux in a lot of weird ways right now. And I think the whole small acts versus Hamilton versus, you know, like, uh, uh, other sort of like WandaVision, right? All of the like, mm-hmm. all of this is is a weird content soup that television is just kind of like lapping up in in different ways. That was a gross image. I'm sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> sorry, I, I just want I just want a French onion soup now. <laughs> I remember looking at that and thinking like, looking at original the films that are nominated for original television movie. Um, some of which I counted as films from last year just because of the way that content has really shifted to streaming in a lot of ways. Um, 
But I was looking at that and being like, really? Like, Sylvie's Love, Uncle Frank, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square? Like, we really couldn't have fit a small axe movie in here? Like, it just seems like we were kind of scraping the bottle, the ba- bottom of the barrel. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. It, it is, it's... You know, there's maybe not anything that I can think of from this year that's really like similar in terms of like the form that it took of this anthology series with separate, you know, with separate episodes. But also some of them played at film festivals. So it is kind of a weird situation. Yeah. And I mean, you know, a lot of critics bodies labeled the like individual films as winners. There was like that L.A. Film uh, Critics Association where they awarded the entire anthology one award but then they awarded a specific film inside the anthology with another award and and you know that that drove me crazy at the time justin (laughs) (laughs) yes but yeah i mean television movie they really just weren't eligible for that category that's that's what the issue was it it would have had to have been for a television uh limited series and you know yeah i think that they should it was right to to uh, to give it to actual television shows um, in those categories, even if I think it's crazy that um, Halston was one of them. But, you know, that's a mm. whole other story. <laughs> um, and the last thing that I wanted to talk about very briefly, and this which does have to be brief because we've been talking about this for a while, um, is just this sort of very interesting uh, thing that is the fact that, like, there's been, as Bill said at the beginning, this in- interesting embrace of this like big budget populist television, um, which you know, I, on a certain level, Emmys always are a populist institution, um, right? Like they're typically, oh, sure. but for for a long time, that like that shifted to this sort of like um, obsession with the prestige drama and the and the comedy that's not a comedy, right? I remember like Edie Falco won for Nurse Jackie one year and she was like, I didn't realize I was giving a comedic performance, but thanks so much. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and now it's just like, yeah, it, it's like all of these projects that if they were movies would never in a million years crack the 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 oscars best picture list um like with mandalorian and wandavision and the boys and lovecraft country and and i just think that that's really interesting um i also think it's interesting that several of those projects like were nominated for the big ticket awards without a lot of acting support and i think that but mando this year actually got some acting um nominations and that was interesting to see as well although interestingly not pedro pascal who you know is he actually acting on that show? I think it's an open question. Um, but do you guys have any thoughts on that before well, we wrap up? Yeah, it, it's uh, – I was uh, – yeah, I saw – what's his uh, – Giancarlo Esposito got nominated for for The Mandalorian. I think he did a really good job in his supporting role in that. But it's, it, it's kind of, I think, reflective of the time because, I mean, the boys did get really good reviews and it was a highly – watched show it was like amazon prime's like flagship show essentially so it makes sense that you would nominate that for show of the year um but yeah i I just you know it all it all ebbs and flows i think like next year maybe we won't have it but i i think this year they kind of reflected the streaming i think streaming and standard television i think were represented pretty well yeah yeah and i i think also just like with their you know with with movies not necessarily being as um, <laughs> well, really 
movies in theaters being as accessible, it's like it was almost like a way the the television academy say like, well, look, look what's happening on TV, right? Look yeah. at the production values of this um, that we have now. Maybe like at a certain time, we didn't we we could only dream of this kind of thing. So it's very much embracing this, I think, uh, shift in terms of um, you know bigger budgets um, and um, you know sort of like flagship series. Um, and, uh, I don't know. And it's, and it's, uh, and it's popular. <laughs> so. I don't know if that's going to be more people are going to watch the Emmys though. I really don't think so. Like, even though it's like, Hey, Mando and WandaVision and all these sh- cool shows you watched were nominated. Yeah. I don't know if that means that's going to translate to people who are, go- who are fans of these shows are going to tune in to be like, Oh, I want to see this show. I like win. Yeah, I it'll be interesting. Like award shows across the board had like an incredible lack of ratings last year um, in the year of covid. Mm. Uh, This year, of course, is also the year of covid. So we'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. You know, I always like an award show, so I can't lie. But uh, but speaking of award shows, we have to get into our next segment, which is the Streaming Wars update, where every month we talk about who won and who lost the war of the streaming services uh, featuring both uh, new shows, new films uh, and the battle over the press release. Uh, All of these things factor in heavily in who won and who lost. Uh, I'm guessing Emmy nominations may have played a role in some of our choices this month. But Bill, let's start with you. Who won the month in streaming? Oh, I've had such a hard time with this one because to me, originally I was going to be like, oh, it's super easy. It's going to be Disney Plus. They have Black Widow at the beginning of the month. They have Jungle Cruise the end of the month. Both were the number one movies in America. Plus you had um, Loki within the, the past month. So, yeah, obviously. But then we look at Disney Plus and we say, well, we're heading into a, they're heading into a lawsuit with Scarlett Johansson. And now there's a lot of qu- people are questioning like, hey. Is the dual release model really successful? Is Disney Plus actually hurting Disney as a theatrical entity? Um, are there movies going to make our cover co- cover budgets because people don't think the Jungle Cruise will, uh, domestically at least? So, uh, Disney Plus, I was going to go with that, but I think I'm going to go with HBO Max because HBO Max, uh, you know, you have Space Jam 2, which was every parent had to watch space jam 2 it was by law <laughs> with a gun time. to their head <laughs> and a bottle in their hand yes that was me on saturday and then we've got <laughs> the suicide squad which is one of the biggest releases of the summer uh coming out and uh you also had the really highly talked about woodstock 99 documentary that just came out last week as well which i mean people are just non-stop talking about because yeah. we're bringing up that horrible state of affairs that was that concert event um so yeah i'm gonna go with hbo max because i think they um they're doing some really cool stuff there and i think those and plus i think white lotus has done pretty well for them and i know that freaky is their number two movie that vince vaughn movie is their number two most streamed movie on there so they're getting some back movies to to stream as well and i think they've come into their own as a good thing uh, as a good streamer, and like I said, it would have been Disney Plus, but the whole controversy of whether they're hurting their box office or not in that lawsuit, I think, just kind of took it down a peg for me. And uh, with HBO Max, let's not forget the launch of Gossip Girl, which that was, I knew there was one thing I was forgetting. I'm like, Alex is going <laughs> to totally pick up 
the one thing I forgot about. And I feel like they've inked a couple of deals. Like they just announced the um, they just announced the lead to the Blue Beetle movie that they're going to do or project they're going to do on HBO Max. And they're already going. They're having the Peacemaker series coming too. So they got a lot of stuff coming. The down and effect. they also announced that um, Leslie Grace is going to be uh, the new Batgirl for the Batgirl film that's direct to HBO Max. There's so. And that J.K. Simmons is going to be uh, in that film, uh, returning, reprising his role as Commissioner Gordon. And they uh, they they just relaunched Yogi Bear essentially with Jellystone. The whole Hanna Barbera universe kind of getting a, a relaunch uh, last weekend as well. They're pretty good. Re- relaunching uh, Yogi Bear. That is quite the sentence. Um. <laughs> <laughs> relaunching, man. <laughs> Justin, how about you? Do you concur? Uh, were you scandalized by Disney Plus's uh, recent headlines, or are you swayed by HBO Max's uh, box office caliber films, or did you go another way? You know, um, I I like a lot of the, the points that you brought up, Bill, with, with HBO Max, and um, but I I don't know. I took the easy bait. <laughs> I went with Disney Plus for this. Um, I think for a couple of reasons. Uh, there's I think you know Loki finished its season, uh, did seemed to do very well in terms of ratings. Um, I believe its finale was actually much higher than even the previous two Marvel series. Um, mm-hmm. And there's actually an estimate uh, according to Deadline, 1.9 million households between July 14th and the 18th. Um, so it seems to be doing pretty well. It also seems it also, uh, for those who watch the series know that it introduced, um, our next big bad in the Marvel cinematic universe, which could have reverberations both in, uh, what's that? I was going to say alligator low key, the next big bad. (laughs) Yes, of course. I dared not say his name. Um, (laughs) um, of course, uh, you know, Lovecraft country nominee, Jonathan Majors, um, and uh, and you know I think that reverberation is not just in um, in the potential you know hopefully more theatrical films but also within um, Disney Plus uh, series because we are definitely getting a Loki season two. Um, you know I've got the Man- Mandalorian tied for uh, I believe tied with the Crown for twenty four Emmy nominations. Um, yep. And uh, so it did pretty well there. Um, Black Widow, yeah, this was, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting the fact that it earned eighty million dollars domestic and sixty million separate from that, sixty million dollars uh, through its premiere access, and then I believe like I think close to eighty million overseas. Um, so, if you know, I don't know what this says in terms of the future of theatrical films, but it seems like they are able to get people to watch things on premiere access. Uh, and I wonder, just given the fact that they have said that they are going to be doing more streaming stuff, it seems to me like this could be a potential, um, you know, I feel like that could maybe bode well uh, for getting people to pay more for films, uh, even if they have the Disney Plus subscription. Um you know, other things I wanted to mention, awesome. uh, which Bill brought up before, Monsters at Work uh, had its premiere. Uh, scenes have been doing mostly positive, although it seems like maybe more of a measured response. Um, and just last, uh, and maybe this is just a me thing as a fan of sharks, but uh, Shark Fest on Nat Geo premiered. Yeah, <laughs> a, uh, a deliberate, I think, um, competitor to uh, Discovery Shark Week. Um, so just, uh, yeah. wanted to bring that little, 
we we buried the lead on Disney Plus was the Josh Peck starring reboot of Turner and Hooch. Of course, how could we forget? How yes. could we forget? Josh, on everyone's that. lips. I honestly, <laughs> I thought that we talked about it so much because we talked about it before the recording. It's you know. Also, we also we got the confirmation of Hawkeye for the fall. Yes. Mm. Yes, we got, a, we got a couple of promotional uh, stills from that show. We know, thanks, spoiler alert, thanks to uh, the Black mm-hmm. Widow and credits that um, Florence Pugh will be uh, joining as a potential antagonist. Um, and uh, yeah, we also uh, it's going to be very exciting. We also know that it's coming out so that way it can correspond um, its release with the release of Spider-Man No Way Home, which may or may not be a coincidence, but it seems like maybe it's not, and that is a lot of people really excited as well. So, definitely lots of good reasons to pick Disney+. Plus. I do think that there is the potential that the Black Widow lawsuit by Scarlett Johansson could have a chilling effect on their um, embrace of uh, Premier Access, but we will have to wait and see for that. Um, but yeah, very, very exciting um, all around. Uh, unfortunately, you guys are both wrong. The winner of this month is Netflix, of course. <laughs> uh, they, won- they won the most, tr- fairly, they won the most nominations of any uh, of any network. Uh, they had the, uh, they also had the show with the most uh, nominations uh, in The Crown. Um, they had nominations in like every single category. It was very impressive. Um, and then, of course, on top of all of that, we had I Think You Should Leave Season 2, Never Have I Ever see, uh, Season 2, and Outer Banks Season 2. And I feel like uh, everyone has been talking about the return of those shows. Um, maybe different everyone's, but everyone collectively has been talking about the return of those shows. Um, we also have the Fear Street trilogy, which was a huge success for them. Um, three uh, feature-length films that are adaptations of an R.L. Stein series, um, which they're kind of like interconnected. And instead of putting out a trilogy once a year or once every three years, they were like, how about we put it out uh, once a week for a month? And it's like, isn't that a television show? No, I guess not. Okay. Um, <laughs> also, we have Sexy Beasts, which is the reality show that everyone is talking about. I think that we talked about it last month when we saw the no. trailer. I think we avoided talking about that. <laughs> That's why I said it. I'm like, you're just you just picked it because of sexy beasts. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to the the big. That's why Josh right on... is on this episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's the panda bear. Yeah, the this the spoiler alert on sexy beasts is that they're all still hot. So like, what's the point? But anyway, um, at least on the voice, they put like a couple of people who are like, oh wow, I didn't think that they would be good singers, and they are. But you know. It is what it is. Uh, <laughs> reality show casting never changes. Um, there's also Gunpowder Milkshake, which I feel like is a, a mostly a failure, but I don't know. It's kind of cool that it exists, right? I. It didn't do well. Did, I mean, I, how I, do we know? How do we know it didn't do well? No, no, no. It's word all of, made up, right? Word of mouth <laughs> was, was this movie ain't good. <laughs> and then we, of course, speaking of movies that uh, may or may not be good, the entire Twilight series uh, returned to Netflix after a long delay. Um, and I think people are very excited. I've seen all series. Oh, I saw I watched all of them uh, this past month because I was excited to check them out. Um, and uh, I had never watched them before. And I'm glad that I did. They are uh, not necessarily good, but different from what I thought they would be. And that was a useful information. Um, and the last one really does live up to um, its reputation as insane. Uh, so at least there's that. <laughs> that last one is insane. And then, of course, 
uh, Netflix exactly. is also the host of uh, the series that we are about to talk about in our new series spotlight, uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, uh, which is, of course, produced by Kevin Smith, uh, starring Sarah Michelle Gellar as Tila, uh, Lena Headley as the very cleverly named Evil Lynn, uh, Liam Cunningham, also of Game of Thrones, as Man of Arms. Griffin Newman, of my favorite podcast, uh, Blank Check, as Orko. Um, the uh, illustrious Susan Eisenberg, as the Sorceress. Um, the uh, indubitable Mark Hamill, as Skeletor. <laughs> and uh, everyone's favorite uh, B-list Superman knockoff from uh, Supergirl, Chris Wood, as He-Man. Uh, one very important one. He's, I mean, Chris Wood, I actually think he's a very nice guy, and I like him a lot. Uh, I don't mean to be rude. It's just kind of funny that he's playing He-Man um, in this show that is, uh, you know, I, it's sort of about He-Man. But anyway, we'll get into that in a few minutes. Um, but guys, I think this is a perfect transition. Uh, what did you guys think about this TV show? I'm super interested. We, uh, we chose this, and by we I mean me, um, to kind of you know cater to our to our senior member of the team, uh, Bill Bodkin, who was alive um, when this original series existed. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, Bill, what was it like to return to your childhood? Uh, it was great. <laughs> Thank you for making me feel very old uh, <laughs> as I suffer through my old aches and pains. Um, you know, it was fun. It was like I, I, um, if you're watching it from a pure nostalgic standpoint, you see all of these, especially during the op- the first episode. Ninety percent of it is a fight scene, uh, and you just see basically they're like. Here's character, 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 character. You've seen throughout the Master Universe series. You've seen the, I've seen the toys, all that stuff. Like, so that was like a really fun trip down memory memory lane um, for that because I watched Team Man a lot when I was a kid. Um, as for the show itself, it's it's solid. Um, I didn't like. There was a lot of controversy around it, and I'm sure we'll get into that. And so when I watched the episode, I'm just like. What is everyone complaining about? This was a creative decision somebody made. And then I read ahead, because I watched the first episode, I read the rest of the episode descriptions. I'm like, people are just dumb. <laughs> just like, why are you overreacting to stuff? Yes. Uh, but overall, it's a pretty good series. I The one voice actor that didn't seem to work in this episode for me, because it I don't know, it just the voice didn't match the character for me. It wasn't how they performed it. Was Sarah Michelle Gellar's Tila? I was just like, it almost didn't fit. I for some reason in this episode and I don't know why because I like Sarah Michelle Gellar in pretty much everything I've seen her in except for some really shitty movies she's been in and like which we can say about anybody is she's just, never been in a bad movie I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> thank you Alex. Uh, <laughs> um, yes regardless uh, but it's just like there was something about it that just I think it didn't work for me for most of the episode until the end where she just like I'm gone now. And I'm just like, okay, maybe in episode two, this turns around. Cause it just, just the, the voice and the character just didn't work for me, but everything else did. And listen, if you give Sir Davos a, a role where he is a concerned dad with a beard, hi, I'm in, you got it. <laughs> he was the guy, him and Tormund. I was sweating bullets every time they were in a fight scene in game of Thrones. I'm like, those are my two favorite characters. Everyone else can die. Those two have to live. <laughs> yeah. That was- Talk about 
Talk about typecasting. Uh, the oh. Onion Knight is at it again in this role as the man yeah. at arms. <laughs> he's just like, oh. yeah, well, at least he has fingers this time. Uh, <laughs> but he's just he's just like, I'm a concerned father. And I was like, I was like, that's Sir Davos, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, it is. But overall, like, it was fun. Mark Hamill as Skeletor is like, yes, obviously, that should have happened. Great casting. Perfect. And, um, yeah, I thought it. I thought it was fine. Like, it, it, I wasn't over the moon nostalgic about it. It was a fun watch, and I just don't get why people overreacted to it. It's just like, okay, uh, I mean, spoiler alert. Yeah, something <laughs> happens to He-Man you weren't expecting. It's called, hey, it's a new series. Let it play out, guys. It's the first half of this series, so stuff can happen. I don't yes, want to give away too much because, I don't know. I think it's okay to give away what happens in the very first episode because it kind of sets the tone for the first. Apparently, maybe sorta dies. Well, he he appears to die. There is no dead body in the first episode, but he does appear to die. And and we all know that in a sci-fi fantasy series, that if a character uh, appears to die, um, that but does not get buried, um, that of course means that they're dead forever, and there's no possible way for them to return. So. Yeah, you know, Optimus Prime yeah. did die and come back in Transformers the movie. That didn't happen. Yes, it did. Stop. <laughs> but anyway, Justin, oh, I'm... Uh... He came back to the series. I'm sorry for all those Transformers fans. <laughs> you think... idiot, he didn't come back. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Optimus Prime died and came back like a million times, didn't he? But <laughs> Matrix Wait, of Power this... was taken from him, put it back in. Sure, of course. As everyone knows, we talk about it every year at Thanksgiving. Um, but anyway, uh, Justin... I'm really curious to know what your thoughts on, because I don't know really what your background is with this franchise, Masters of the Universe, and uh, at all. So I guess start out there and, and let us know what you thought, how many episodes of this you watched, because there are five episodes available to watch on Netflix. It's the first half of the first season, um, all dropped at once. Uh, the second half is um, most likely not coming until next year, uh, because they have soft confirmed a season two for 2023, and they want to kind of like spread it out a little bit, so that way the brand doesn't die, at least according to an interview that I uh, listened to of Kevin Smith. So, um, yeah, I'm really curious how many episodes of this you watched, if you had any background with Masters of the Universe prior to watching this, and uh, what your overall thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a franchise I really knew very little about. Um, you know, if I'm being honest, the um, uh, hey, 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 what's going on video is maybe the most that I knew about Masters of the Universe. Uh, <laughs> for those who have seen that viral video, um, it this was a show that was like a you know not to sorry Bill not to date you or anything but uh, so the <laughs> this was a little bit before my time. Um, I did see that it was rebroadcast a few times, so yes. I guess there was a chance that I could have watched it. But it was always this like strange thing. I remember reading um, comics in like the. Or like reading comics from like the early '90s and seeing all these ads for it, and being like, "What is this?" It's like kind of like Barian, but also there's like science fiction stuff in it. Like it was just, it seems so random to me. Like I'm just like, "What is this? Like what is this derived from? Like where does this come from?" Like I was just kind of baffled by it. Um, 
And so, yeah, I didn't really know a lot about this series. I also didn't watch um, the uh, the other Netflix series that is uh, that comes from this universe, uh, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, uh, which I've heard really good things about, even though I've heard it like sort of deviates from the uh, from the canon. Um, so I, I really went into this like somewhat blind um, and I really didn't have any attachment to any of these people. Uh, and I guess I don't know. I thought it was okay i mean i feel like just having i've only seen the first episode so far um and it's not especially long or anything um i would say i feel maybe more interested in watching the series that the end of this episode sets up than the one that it actually shows (laughs) so (laughs) i don't know if that's a good job or a bad job on the part of the show but you know it it does make me somewhat curious just because of the way it sets up uh, Tila, the character who is voiced by Sharon Michelle Geller, uh, as basically renouncing everyone and everything in in the kingdom, basically. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, what's this now? What's this going to be? Is she going to like wander the earth, like looking for purpose? Like, that sounds really cool to me. Uh, and not having really any attachment to He-Man himself or any of the other characters. I'm like, yeah, that's actually a show I'd be more interested in watching. Um I, I did feel watching this, uh, and I'm curious how other people feel like maybe, I don't know what your familiarity is, is with this, Alex, but I felt like I was missing parts of it. Um, like, I, I felt like with not being familiar with the characters that certain parts of the show, I, I'm like, oh, I bet this would play better if I like had familiarity with these characters. Um, there are some like emotional beats that play out that really kind of fell flat for me. Um, I don't know who the hell Moss Man is or why he's important or why he is so meaningful to people. He's a giant he man named, made out of moss. That's all you need I'll to be, know. Okay. <laughs> Straight up, I don't remember him in the show. I don't, yeah, I don't think that he's yeah. a thing. I think it's just like a, it's just a wild thing that happens. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> I guess, I guess so. I mean, maybe that's, that seems like one of the characters who was named like maybe right before they went to lunch or something. I don't know, but every single one of these characters were named right <laughs> oh, before lunch. The, the names for all these people are the worst. They were <laughs> the worst when I was five watching this. Yeah. See, because there's a man and he's a skeleton man. And so they named him Skeletor. Uh, do you get it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, we also forget that Stephen Root uh, is the voice of Cringer. The yes, Lock. Yeah, I did see I that. I did forget God, to include him. God bless yeah. him so hard. Uh, uh, I, yeah. I couldn't find Frank Welker in the voice cast here, which was a bit of a surprise to me. I don't know. Who's Frank Welker? Oh, he's like a he's like a voice acting legend who's like in everything. Oh, <laughs> but not in this, well, apparently. Oops. He might have been the original Orko, now that you say it. He might have been, yeah. Yeah, and that's Griffin um, But yeah, so I don't know. I I don't have the same, you know, I, I've I've seen a decent amount of like animated shows that are aimed at um, you know, I'll I'll say either younger like family audience. Um, one of them I mentioned earlier, Avatar the Last Airbender, which I feel like maybe do a, a better job of sort of uh putting you into the world and making you understand its rules. Uh there's a lot of exposition here, and I'm like Okay, like I understand why this is here, but it feels more utilitarian than anything else. Um, it it doesn't make me uninterested in seeing what the show is going to be based on how it ends. But, um, you know, again, it's not really something I feel watching the show. I'm not sure I would I would say that it makes me realize like why people 
liked this show in the in the in the beginning. I mean, yeah, I yeah, I think that that's fair. I will talk about um, my experience with this franchise um, for a bit now and say that I basically, uh, like Justin, grew up well after this show was relevant, and so I had no uh, familiarity with the show at all. Um, and the very little that I knew about it, and it was very little, was it made it seem like it was uh, not for me. Um, looking at it now, it just is so clearly what it was, which was just an incredibly cynical and uh, creatively craven um, attempt by a toy manufacturer to oh. uh, optimize <laughs> their toy line for children, uh, specifically boys, because um, this was, of course, uh, Mattel um, is behind this show, as it is with uh, all of the show's um and uh yeah basically they were like we uh we fucked up we could have had star wars but we passed on it so now we need a boy line since we have barbie um and they just uh brainstormed by being like what if it's everything that all little boys from 1982 like and uh they did it they just smashed it all together it's like it's it's sci-fi and it's fantasy and there's guys with big muscles and there's also a a talking uh like uh lion or whatever because that's we have that mold um and it just is like it just so clearly looks like a bunch of like misfit toys like that just got like thrown into a weird uh, sandbox together and there's a little bit of a charm to that um, I appreciate the creative um, endeavor of trying to make sense of it all. Um, but I will say, <laughs> I, I don't think that this show is, is necessarily for me. I think that if I, I did watch all of the episodes because, of course, um, and so I've seen all of it. And <laughs> and it did, I was not planning on watching all of it, but I watched the first episode and I was like, hey, that's actually like a really bold way to start this, this uh, series. I'm curious where it's going to go. Um, and then I watched the second episode. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting, I guess. And basically the premise for the show is like, you know, uh, Skeletor finally seems like he's going to win. So He-Man sacrifices himself. They both quote unquote die. Um, and in doing so, they break the world uh, and all of magic goes away and, and the entire universe is at risk. And so uh, Tila, played by Sarah Michelle Gellar, have to travel to heaven and hell to save uh, the Eternia, which is the name of this country, or planet, rather. Um, and uh, it's like a bunch of like little like trial by fire sort of segments where they all have to prove themselves. And Lena Hetty Hed- and uh, Griffin Newman are really good as Evil Lynn and Orko. They get paired off pretty early on, and they have like really good chemistry together. And um, Lena Hetty is just like excellent in this character that like should be very like silly. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, and it, and it, so I kept watching it because it was short and it, like, kept me engaged enough. And, uh, but I, I don't really think that I would continue to watch it as an adult, like, moving forward. Um, but what I will say is, is that I really think I would be into this if I was, like, my, like, eight to ten year old self. Because it's oh, yeah. everything that I liked in a cartoon at the time where it's, like, there's this kind of like there's an um, there's a surprising level of emotional pathos for a cartoon in it, and there's this like greater mythology that you're kind of thrown into, and it's kind of half baked, but like you could, but it feels like a world that you could learn about, and there's this sort of like interesting stakes to each story and an ensemble cast that you can invest in, and and there's enough of like action adventure aspects to it to keep you engaged. So. I absolutely think a uh, younger me would really like this. As an adult, 
property, I don't think it really works. Um, I don't, it doesn't need to work that way, but it does feel like it's being marketed as like, oh, if you like this show growing up, you should watch this now. And it's like, I don't really, I just can't see a lot of actual adults watching this and getting a lot out of it. But, and yeah. I'm a big Kevin Smith fan and it's just like, I don't see his fingerprints on this at all. Um, and I think that that's interesting. Um, I see, I do. Like I think just the decision, and this is just the decision of the of it not being a show, even though it's Masters of the Universe being solely centered around He-Man. Like having like breaking this off and trying something different. Like I could see Kevin Smith because he's written a bunch of comics where he takes different, you know, takes on classic characters and stuff like that. So I'm like I could see that, but outside of that. There's not much of Kevin Smith. Like, there's not a lot of great humor in it or anything like that. It's just like his. I mean, his daughter does a voice. I mean, that's another thing. I guess you could say. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's yeah. You're right. Like outside of that, that sort of creative decision, like there's not much Kevin Smith apparent in this. It's very, it's very self-serious in a way that Kevin Smith stuff never is. Even when it's yeah. tack, even when Kevin Smith tackles serious subjects and is and is earnest. He's not usually this self-serious, um, but I. But like I said, it did feel like you know, it felt like you know, uh, a cartoon like that I really liked at the time, like Digimon, or you know, like it felt like a, a version of the Power Rangers that I really liked when I was nine years old. You know, <laughs> that there were things that this reminded me of that I feel like I would have liked at the time, but it's it's not there for me as a, as an adult consumer of the show. I, I have, but it, I did watch all five episodes, so there's at least that. I I feel like it what this is for adults though for and and it but it just doesn't come off though like you're saying like this would appeal to me if I was like between the ages of eight and eleven yeah uh, and like there supposedly is a new He-Man show on Netflix coming soon that's specifically geared towards children and I just think that's weird because that really then makes <laughs> it seem like this is for like adults I, I, and I, it isn't so I don't I don't get that. <laughs> Yeah, because when I saw the trailer for this, I'm like, I actually thought this was like totally going to be for adults. And then when you watch it, it's like this is just could have been on Saturday morning when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like not in a bad way. Like no, it's for no, it's like for older. It feels like it's for older kids. Like it is patient. It is quiet at times. It really it has an emotionality to it that you wouldn't expect from a show that's for like younger children. Um, but like, I mean, I'm sure that it would not hold a candle to a show like Avatar, Korra, or something like that. Shows that I haven't watched, but actual adults really enjoy on its own. You know, I don't think that it's probably at that level. Um, but I think it's trying to get that same demographic, and and I think it's just like falling a little bit short. But I will say that the the things that people like hardcore He-Man fans are upset about are just like completely ridiculous. Like there's a big outrage that it's like, oh, like you're just trying to make He-Man and like Masters of the Universe into a social justice warrior by killing He-Man and and making the girl be the protagonist. And it's like, and it's just like, all right, relax. Like, yeah, it's just like, stop it. But uh, that was annoying. But I, my understanding is is that it is a small but vocal uh, community um, who felt that way, and it's not at all surprising. But I'm happy to ignore them. Um, if you guys I mean, are, yeah, that made <laughs> me honestly. When I heard about that, I'm like, well, that makes me more excited to watch it. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know if I need to go further into the series to really, you know, maybe understand that or experience yeah. that anyway. 
But I will say, like you, like Bill, your one criticism is that Michelle Gell- uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar doesn't really totally gel as Tila, and I do think that that is not necessarily the case moving forward. I think she okay. specifically is a little uncomfortable in that role. I think that's an acting choice because, like, she is a character who uh, then kind of, as you see in the in the end of that episode, like walks away from everything that's, and then becomes a new person. So. Like- at the end, that's when she seems the most. It seems like it comes together. So I'm like, yeah. Just in the beginning, it distance the voice didn't fit the character for me. That's what I mean. Like, and so also I felt like I don't know if you guys heard this. Like, it felt like some of the audio was very odd for some of the characters. Like, some of the characters hmm. weren't coming in as sharp. Like, it was like we, I recorded this off uh, remotely. This is what my audio sounds like. <laughs> Your like some people were a little sharper. It sound sounded like huh. than others. I didn't have that with mine. Justin, did you have that with yours? Yeah, I, I mean, not that I can, not that I can recall. No. I wonder if it was like a buffering problem. Or, <laughs> I mean, Cringer was in a bubble for a time, so I don't know if that sure. was in a bubble. Yes. That is true. Yeah. yeah. And Griffin Griffin Newman as Orko has a really really nice episode, and I believe it's episode four where he kind of gets to come in, like come as his, like come into his own as a character, and like really kind of like. You know, he, he has a very nice moment. Um, a Gandalf-esque, surprisingly enough. Um, and I'll leave it at that. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it. you know, I mean, if you have, like, an 8 to 10 or 11-year-old kid that you, that, like, you think, like, oh, it would be a fun thing to watch with them, like, I think that's great. Like, I think that would, that's probably the best use of this. But, um, but yeah, you know. It's only five episodes, so whatever. Um, thanks for <laughs> thanks for watching it. I'm sorry, Bill. It wasn't everything you wanted it to be. Um, you know, it's funny. It's like I liked He Man growing up as a kid, but He He Man was not like top five for me. It was always like I enjoyed watching it, but it wasn't like you know. It was for me. It was like Transformers, GI Joe, Thundercats, that stuff like that. So mm. like those are the tops. <laughs> this this was like you know something I really similar enjoyed. pedigrees in terms of of course they were <laughs> toys marketing. <laughs> They were perfect marketing machines through young, supple minds like mine. And yes, I had all the Thundercats and a million G.I. Joes and a million Transformers. So I've it, actually, because of the show, though, I did learn an interesting amount of con- like information about like Masters of the Universe and like that era of uh, cartoon TV. Uh, for instance, apparently due to government regulations, He-Man never is allowed to use his giant sword to, hit, to strike anyone. That's why he says, well, that's wow. why that... That line is, yeah. like, finally learned how to use your sword. And I'm like, yeah, He-Man never killed anyone with a sword. He never, he never struck a person with the nope. sword. Like, that was against the law for some reason, which is <laughs> yeah. pretty interesting. Um, also, I learned that, um, you know, Justin, you mentioned the She-Ra uh, cartoon that Netflix put out a few years ago that did get a lot of um, positive um, uh, press at the time. Uh, I learned that uh, She-Ra's rights are tied up in DreamWorks television and uh, Masters of the Universe's rights are tied up with Mattel specifically um, because Masters of the Universe started as a toy line, whereas Mm -hmm. She-Ra started as a television spinoff of Masters of the Universe. And so therefore the television company owned the rights to She-Ra first and then had like a in like had a secondary interest in 
the the Masters of the Universe and owned certain characters that were developed for the show that that then became toys, but the characters that were toys first and then were brought onto the show are owned by Mattel. Um, and since then, the television uh, studio behind the show has been purchased a million different times until it ended up with DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. So that is why... Uh, Shira has nothing to do with this uh, with this version of Masters of the Universe. Um, very weird, sort of uh, uh, <laughs> uh, like a Hollywood uh, rights uh, situation. There, um, I found that interesting. So, figured I'd share it with everyone. I'm sure that you all are fascinated. Um, <laughs> all time, well, I was curious because when I saw this was coming out, I was like, so is this tied to the She-Ra show at all? But then I saw the art style was completely different. I'm like, maybe not. Yeah, no, not at all. And apparently, like, in the original series, She-Ra is technically He-Man's sister, but is not present in the original, like, in the first, like, season or two of the show. And so they, like, come up with, like, this very elaborate backstory as to how she was, like, kidnapped and raised somewhere else and whatever. Mm-hmm. So she, like, doesn't actually... It, it's very easy to not have her factor into the, to the Masters of the Universe show as a result. So, yeah, there is not going to be any crossover because they're... Despite both airing on Netflix, they are owned by two different um, production companies. And do that for certain. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that they, when they introduce Shira, it's like this is your sister, and I'm like, wait, why wasn't she there before? And they had the whole story. I'm like, I didn't buy. It. <laughs> Yeah, but if you read the comics, apparently, like, they all mix together on the, in the comics, because the comics rights are all mixed up, too. Oh. It's sort of, it's, there's a whole weird sort of, it's a whole mess. But, uh, but in any case, that's Masters of the Universe Revelation. Um, that's our show for this month. Thanks, everybody, for coming on. Next month, we're going to be talking all about the Emmys. We're going to do a full Emmys preview ahead of the September 19th um telecast uh, i'm very excited for that justin thank you so much for coming on um where can we find uh, more of your work out there on the internet yeah well it's a pleasure to be here um with both of you gents uh you can find my work on uh, the cinemaverick.com that's my website and i'm also on letterboxd at the cinemaverick uh actually i will be probably in the in this this month i will be doing my best of 2020 retrospective uh, oh, don't tease for, us, Justin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I have been working on uh, in earnest, although it's tougher when you have to go back to work and you have to worry about the commute again. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> you can find me uh, writing uh, about small acts because apparently uh, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, as well as the Television Academy, uh, does not want to do that. So I will have to do it <laughs> instead. Uh, you can also check out a podcast I did with uh, Noah France, who is the co-host, along with Alex and myself, of Cinema Joes, and Luke Martin, who is uh, on the uh, actually part of the pop break uh, on the breakcast, doing his Talking the Coda podcast. Uh, the three of us did a uh, six-episode podcast about the band Genesis. It's called Pod on the Rooftops. You can find that on thepopbreak.com. It was a lot of fun uh, talking about uh, my favorite band. So that's uh, where you can find me. Um, Bill, how about you? Where can we find all of your stuff out there on Pop Break and elsewhere? Uh, well, yeah, if you must follow me on Twitter, I'm at BodkinWrites, W-R-I-T-E-S. Uh, most of the time, it's just stuff about wrestling and everything on ThePopBreak.com, the site I have been 
running for, since 2009. Uh, that would be 12 years, Bill. You can do math in your head. That's why I said 2009. I'm like, crap, I don't remember how long it's been. Um, the popright.com, we're posting every single day about movies, TV, uh, music, comic books, pro wrestling, anime. And uh, we, we're going back to concerts. So being our guys are very safe and vaccinated and gals too and all masked and all everyone's good. Trust me, I'm not letting them go out if they're not. Um, we just shot uh, Rise Against the Stone Pony. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and the person who shot that is Al Manorino, my co-host on the Socially Distanced podcast, which drops every single Friday. We took last week off uh, because I took my first vacation in a very long time. Uh, this week, we'll be going back to our original format. We'll be talking about a couple of the news pieces, uh, talk about some trailers. So that'd be fun. We're going to be talking uh, about Suicide Squad. We're going to talk some football coming up. Got a whole bunch of different guests lined up. By lined up, I mean I have to figure out who they're going to be. Uh, <laughs> but also with the pop break, uh, well, with that podcast, we are on Anchor, Google, Apple, and um, Spotify. Spotify. And then uh, check out the Pop Break's uh, social media. We're at the Pop Break on Twitter, at the Pop Break on Instagram, and forward slash popbreak.com, all spelled out on Facebook. It's been a minute since I've had to do that because usually I just have it all memorized. But, like, you know, hey, you take a week <laughs> off and you forget stuff. Well, I think you did an admirable job, Bill. Um, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Media Thinkings. Uh, you can follow my film podcast that I do with Justin, as he said, uh, Cinema Joes. Uh, this month we're going to be talking about the very relevant Amadeus uh, from the 1980s, and also the slightly more relevant Suicide Squad, uh, which is going to be our, that episode's going to be coming out later in August. Um, so definitely check that out. We come out every other Thursday on all of your major podcast platforms. Um, you can also uh, follow, uh, you can subscribe to this podcast um via the pop break tv podcast feed in there is also other really fun podcasts um including goodbye to all that um which i used to host but i passed the reins over to michael t ford the third and he's doing an excellent job this month talking about loki uh so if you were uh surprised to not get as much loki talk in this episode as you might have thought since uh josh was not here um you can definitely check out that podcast um if you want even more Loki content, you could also check out uh, this month's uh, Blurred Watchers, um, where they talk about Loki, and also um, the uh, BlurredCon uh, convention that they attended uh, last month. Uh, really a cool conversation about that. Um, we also have Roses and Rejection, which has been covering The Bachelorette, and also did an episode um, with a little bit of conversation about Sexy Beasts. So if you want to hear more about that, check that out. That comes out um, usually on Thursdays uh, now. And we also have uh, Live, Laugh, and Lovey, uh, which just wrapped up their coverage of this season of The Shy, and we'll be moving on to a, another season of Married at First Sight. So if you're a fan of that show, definitely check them out. Um, also, you can go over to the Breakcast podcast feed for a number of other podcasts that are really cool. Um, some things are in the works moving forward that I'm excited uh, will hopefully come together soon. Um, and, uh, you know, we also have uh, Talking to Coda, our music podcast, uh, This Wrestling Life with Bill Bodkin, when he wants to, and uh, <laughs> yeah. this is like, I finally, post vacation, I can finally do it now. Yep, and of course, the Anniversary Brothers podcast, uh, where Bill was a recent guest. So check out all of that stuff. Um, we also, if you're into movies about uh, that are featured in the Oscars, there's uh, the winner still is is currently in season. That's our Oscar. Uh, history podcast and the way too early Oscar podcast uh, posts every so often as they 
uh, deem it appropriate given the Oscar season is very unusual this year. So look for those feeds. Those are separate feeds that you can subscribe. If you don't feel like subscribing to all that stuff, because that's a lot of stuff, you can just head on over to thepopbreak.com, click on the podcast tab, and you can see all of the recent podcasts that we are doing. Uh, so for everybody here at thepopbreak.com, Popbreak TV, uh, TV break, all of the stuff. I'm Alex Marcus, and we will see you next month. By the power of Grayskull. Ha, 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 ha.